The Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. Please use your discretion. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my Sparkfile. To be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my Sparkfile. I jump into my spark file. Let's open up the spark file. <laughs> Welcome to the Spark File, your one-stop high school musical for creative inspiration. I'm Laura Camion. And I'm Susan Blackwell. If you're an OG listener, welcome back, Sparkler. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. But you may be asking yourself, what exactly is a spark file? Where do I get one? What do I file in it? These are such good questions, and we do have answers. A spark file is a place where you consistently collect all your inspirations and fascinations. Here's the deal. We are makers who make all kinds of things. If you're like us and you're making stuff all the time or want to be making stuff all the time, you know the wellspring of inspiration can run a little dry. So we're on the lookout for fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark our creativity and pique our curiosity, things that inspire us to get up off of our asses and make things like this podcast. I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Or, um, Or a difference. Can I say that? Can I say that? Make a of difference. Of course you can. <laughs> how simple, how elegant. Thanks. Or an act of resilience that screams, take that pandemic. Ooh. Every episode, we're going to reach into the spark file and exchange some sparks. And from time to time, we're going to talk to some folks who spark us too. And if you're not careful, you might just find yourself becoming smarter, braver, and more in control. So without further ado, let's open up the, the spark, spark file. file. Hey. Hi, Kims. Hi, Blackwell. Camion. Blackwell. How's my little baby cam cams? Good, but I'm not going to lie. I really miss, you know, normally when we're recording, our day would begin with just an enormous hug and seeing you and getting to hug you and you're a great hugger. And we'd start with just a how are you and how are you? And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I miss that. I miss that. It's going to be a minute, Cam. I know. It is going to be a minute, but it makes sense to me that you would miss it because you're right. I'm a champion hugger. (laughs) Uh, I'm not bad myself. Very well-documented boundary (laughs) issues. Um, You're a great, you are, you're a great hugger. Um, I know it's it's weird, isn't it? It's a weird thing. It's going to be, but it is going to be a while. And that is weird too. It um, is. Yeah. Camion, as we record this, the trees are all blooming and flowering. <gasps> and the, the trees are papawi right now. Oh, papawi. Oh, I love it. I just realized it. I've been working so hard and I honestly hadn't registered it. Didn't get it, to see it. It's beautiful. I'm seeing it now. I'm so glad. I hope today you get to just step outside and let yourself have a nose full of the smells. (laughs) Get a real snoop full of it. Get a real, real nose full of um, whatever. I don't know what flowers they are or what kind of blooms you got going on there, but I know our yard smells totally different now and I love it. Mm, there's a there's a yard down the street from us, a, a fur piece, and they somebody had the wherewithal 
many, 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 many years ago to plant all sorts of trees that flower in different shades of pink. Oh, so there's genius. dark pink and there's pale pink and there's cherry blossoms. And fuchsia? It is, yeah, mm. and fuchsia. It is one of, I've never seen anything like it. And whoever mm. did it is a genius. And it was one of those, like you were talking about with your tree spark. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things that was sort of like, here's a gift to people probably after I'm gone. To the future. A gift it's to the future. So incredible. I now can't stop thinking about it. I just, anytime I see old trees or, you know, plants like that, and I'm just like, I don't know who you were, but I am mm. so grateful thank for you. the decisions you made. Yeah. yeah. I'm with awesome. you. Cams, I think we better get down to sparking because Shit, I'm going to be go. honest with you. <laughs> to quote Laura Camion, I've got 15 pounds of spark in a 10 pound bag. <laughs> okay. All right. I think I better get into it. We better um, dig in. You ready? I'm so ready. I can't wait to hear what Strap you got. Strap in, folks. Okay. Um, so I wanted to share a spark that came straight out of my own spark file and out of my life. I... As I've discussed before, I believe on this very podcast, this pandemic has created a lot of personal and professional and creative upheaval for so many people, for myself and so many others. Mm -hmm. For instance, I see it in the teachers that we work with and the teachers that we teach who are struggling to figure out how to teach within pandemic parameters, parameters that are changing as new information emerges. So it seems like... uh, Distance learning and blended learning seem like a moving target. I see it in all kinds of performers and actors and musicians and those folks whose work is tied to gatherings of people. Yes. So that also includes things like um, restaurants and gyms and transportation and travel. It's been really, really hard for people. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't remember. I think I said it on this podcast, but I honestly can't remember. But there was like a 24 to 48 hour period where I lost every piece of work that I had on the calendar. Um, And one of the things that I lost was something very near and dear to my heart. So first, a little backstory. Back in 2009, I initiated a project with um, my title of show collaborators. So that's director Michael Barres, music director Larry Presgrove, Hunter Bell, Jeff Bowen, and Broadway's Heidi Blickenstaff. Um, So we'd been developing the storytelling style that blended multiple voices and music. And I felt like we had really started to find a very distinctive voice. And I wanted to... Yeah, I wanted to use that voice to create something with those people, make something that I loved. And my original vision was that we would essentially make a storytelling slash singing slash musical concert that we Mm -hmm. could perform and tour and stuff like that. So we workshopped versions of this piece at so many different places. And I'm going to name some of them because I think it matters. The Eugene O'Neill Theater Center, the Weston Playhouse, the McDowell Artists Colony, Oh My International Arts Center, Our Family Cruises, like the Rosie Cruise. We workshopped it there. Goodspeed Musicals, the Department of Theater at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, the Vineyard Theater, where we had performed title of show some years earlier, I just want to say that when it comes to making long form work, like a musical or a novel or a large or intricate piece of art, it doesn't just take a village. It takes several <laughs> villages. Oh my so God. I want to thank, so I want to thank all the people that run 
all of those villages, we really could not have made this thing without them. So, so this thing, this storytelling with music or music with storytelling or whatever it was, became an original musical called Now Hear This. And we performed Now Hear This off-Broadway at the Vineyard Theater in 2012. Shout out to the Vineyard. Hey. And but we did it. We worked hard. We learned stuff. We did the best that we could. And I would say that we succeeded on some counts and maybe less so on other counts. But there are pieces of writing in Now Hear This that I am as proud of as anything I've ever mm, written. And then the good. run concluded. It does feel good. Mm-hmm. It does feel good. I, I yeah, it does. Yeah. But then the run concluded and the prop, the Now Hear This property went to our licensing house, which is Concord Music, so that they could license it out and other theaters could do it. So you sort of like live a life with a long form project like that. And then it's done and you sort of yeah. say, now other people do it. Yeah. Um, but for years, if I'm honest, it felt unfinished to me. And I would go long stretches and not think about it. And then every once in a while, I would wake up and I would be filled. I, there were mornings where I would wake up filled with ideas about how to make it better and mm. wanting to go back and fix things and change things and improve mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. So after that happened a few times, I started talking with Hunter Bell, who co-wrote the book with me about taking another swing at it. Mm-hmm. And then we roped Jeff Bowen back in. Jeff wrote the music <laughs> and the lyrics. So for the past year, we have been reworking that show. And we were trying to do some really specific things in addition to just like, I don't know. I don't know. We, we wanted to make it more flexible so that a theater with a, a cast of four people or a cast of 40 people or a cast of 400 people mm-hmm. could perform it. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to make it so that if you had a keyboard, you could do the show. Or if you had a full band, you could do the show. And we wanted to make it modular so that, that a theater could do the full length version. And then they would have really clear instructions if they wanted to do, for instance, a 45 minute cutting for a theater festival or a competition, mm-hmm. they would yeah. have super clear instructions how to do that. We also, and this was probably one of the most important things to me, wanted to make it, it was originally set on uh, four actors, myself, Hunter Bell, Heidi Blickenstaff and Jeff Bowen. Mm -hmm. And I was interested in making it as non-gendered and as inclusive as possible Mm -hmm. so that as many different types of people could play all different parts regardless of who originated the part. So we were envisioning... Yeah, it was like, it, it all seemed, it was like, that's a cool idea. And then when we got into it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a, <laughs> is a complicated puzzle. Um, because what I, what we were envisioning was something like a choose your own adventure element to it with uh-huh. really super clear rules of engagement in the script so that, that people could follow along easily while still maintaining the mm-hmm. intention of the piece. So that's right. Around about this time, the wonderful Scott Barnhart, who is a friend in real life and a friend of the Spark File. Hi, Hi Scott. Hi, Scott. Um, 
Listeners might know Scott if they're familiar with the original cast of Book of Mormon. Scott Barnhart, it, did you see that show, Cams? <laughs> yes, several times. <laughs> did you like? Did you love that show? I did. I love, oh my god, I did too. I, loved I love it that so show. Much. Scott Barnhart is my sister was a dancer, then she got oh. cancer. That's Scott Barnhart. That sweet peanut. Oh, bringing back Barnhart. memories. So good. I know. So He's good. wonderful. So Scott approached us about doing Now Hear This at this amazing arts high school where he teaches and directs theater. It's called the Orange County School of the Arts, also known as OSHA, O-C-S-A, OSHA. And we were all, hells yes. Mm-hmm. How would you feel, Scott Barnhart, about beta testing this <laughs> new, flexible, modular, gamified, non-gendered version of the show? And he was all, hells hey. yes. <laughs> and we were all, hells yes, back at him. And everybody was all, hells yes. <laughs> So we dug in and we worked really hard and we got the script all ready. And Scott and his co-director, Peter Marinaro, and musical director, Christopher Smith, cast the show with 20 cast members. And then on top of that, there were nine nine student docents and this whole squad of additional creative leaders. And I scheduled time to go out in March of 2020 Mm -hmm. to work with the cast during rehearsals and to do master classes. And all of this stuff was scheduled and plane tickets were purchased and they dug into rehearsals and they were about three weeks into those rehearsals. And then guess what happened? Only Laura Camion could have predicted it. A pandemic struck. A pandemic. Um, Can I just say, even you mentioning that is bringing back so many memories because we were doing, uh, as usual, a lot of work leading up to, and there was this little block of time that was like, okay, I'm going to be in California during this time. And so we're like working before that and planning for after that. And then as it was coming up upon us, we would start to have those like, if that's happening, exactly. of course it's happening. I mean, this is crazy, right? Things aren't going to get canceled, right? Um, and, you know, with this, the span of those like four days, ultimately, every single thing um, that you're, I'm just having very visceral <laughs> memories yeah. of that, of that time. It all got shut. Everybody, it's so funny at that time, my experience was people were like, I think we're going to go ahead. I think we're going to go ahead. I think we're going to, and then within, it was like 24 hours. Everybody was like, nope, everything's canceled. We're not going Um, ahead. Yeah. It was tough. It was a tough time. Um, For so many reasons. Financially, it was tough. Creatively, it was tough. I kind of got into bed for a couple of days and was just like, see on the other side. Yeah. And then can I just pull the blanket over and like wake up when this is done? Yeah. Um, So I talked with one of the cast members of that production of Now Hear This. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their name is Adam Castrion. Hi, Adam. Hi, Adam. As a graduating senior, now here this was going to be Adam's last performance at OSHA. Uh, uh. And he told me about the moment he learned about the cancellation. He was in his AP environmental science class, and they have this, it's sort of a newscast video that airs to the entire school called Art Attack. (laughs) Um, And the dean, the dean came on to the video to say that all performances were canceled, obviously, including Now Hear This. And Adam said he walked around for the entire day with a cloud over his head. This was his last experience 
doing an OSHA show and mm. this was how it was going to end. This mm. was his mm. senior year coming to an end. Um, another graduating senior named Nathan Burke told me that he remembers his last day at school being total crap. Everyone was in a terrible mood. It was raining buckets. He was sitting in his car and he saw six kids ditch school because they didn't want to be there anymore. And he went home with this, what the hell is next? Total uncertainty of life being put on pause. Yet another graduating senior named Maggie Gidden was in tap class when she got the email learning that all live performances, including Now Hear This, were canceled. And she said she got so angry. And that day that she learned of the cancellation, again, was her last day being on campus as a senior. And she said, in retrospect, she wished that she could have a do-over. She wishes that her last memory of being on campus wasn't colored with that anger. Yeah. But as we all know, as long as you can still draw breath, you get a let me try that again on all of that. So That's right. speaking of, during all of this, I was online teaching this workshop a lot. This mm-hmm. let me try that again workshop mm-hmm. that I've talked about it before, but I developed this workshop with a fantastic teaching artist named Thomas Schulteis. Thomas! And um, the, the let me try that again concept and workshop operates under the belief that as long as you're alive, as long as you can draw breath you get to take another try at something or you get to finish some unfinished business or you can extend the story and rewrite the ending. Um, It occurred to me just now while I was um, putting this spark together, in the hero's journey, the story would not end when the hero got knocked down. The story Mm -hmm. doesn't have to end with that shitty rainy day at school where you learn Mm -hmm. that this is how your senior year is coming to an end, the musical is canceled, and people are ditching because they're not having it. You would want to see how that character got back up and overcame. We always think it's so well summed up in the words of John Lennon, everything will be okay in the end if it's not okay it's not the end. So I love that quote so much. I do I too. So much. I do too. So I was teaching, let me try that again, a lot because I was trying to be of service to people as mm-hmm. they were processing a lot of flaming curveballs and rapid change as a result right. of the pandemic. So it was clearly on my mind. And in a discussion with director Scott Barnhart, I asked him to consider this. Instead of shutting down the show, like most other theater productions across the country, and that being the end of the story, what if we continued rehearsing the material virtually? Mm -hmm. Um, Scott and his co-director, Peter Marinaro, and the students were open to this. So for three days, I worked with the students via Zoom conference. And I taught them the let me try that again process so that they would know where I was coming from and sort of the concept of processing the loss, but then getting back up on our feet, extending the story, rewriting Mm -hmm. the ending. Um, That work with the students culminated with a Zoom read-through of the script with the entire cast. And the songs were a cappella because it's really impossible to sing together in Zoom because the yeah. voices cancel each other out. Yep. But even though Zoom was being Zoom, I could see that this cast was amazingly talented and extremely well cast. Everyone was really great and their featured moments were especially spectacular. Um, even with all the limitations of Zoom, you could really tell. Mm -hmm. So after listening to them read and sing through the script, I said something, which Camion, I couldn't (laughs) stop my mouth from saying it. And because the whole thing was being recorded, I've gotten to go back and see it. Um, (laughs) 
I asked the students to think about how they might envision these numbers if they were like little music videos. Uh And that I didn't care how people got to see these students, that I wanted people to see their work, that I believed in them so much. But Camion, as I'm saying it, you can tell I'm sort of putting it together in real time and I'm speaking in a way that's halting. And it's because (laughs) as I was saying it, uh, in my mind, I was like, oh, there was this voice in my head. And I was like, oh, Susan, you could really get in trouble for this because I hadn't checked with the administration or the parents. I hadn't mm-hmm. asked for permission. And most importantly, I didn't want to create another situation that could be canceled or taken away from the students like their spring musical, like graduation, like That's prom, right. like senior night and on and on and on. Yeah. Um, like, like get their hopes up only to yes. be dashed again. Yeah. Yes. So I was just like, can we very gently begin to start thinking about what this would be like if it was a music video? Um, but way after the fact, I did ask some of those students who were on that call how they felt when I said that. And Adam Castrione said at first he was very skeptical that it could be done, any of it could be done virtually. He said his parents are divorced, so he goes back and forth between two homes. And he was like, how are these logistics mm. going to work? How would I get stuff done on time? Um, graduating senior Maggie Giddens said, when I floated the idea that it just seemed like an impossible task. And she sort Mm -hmm. of was like, what happens when more than one person is in a number together and they have to sing? How does that work? And what happens when Maggie is standing against a tan wall in her home and someone else is standing in front of a neon orange wall in their home? She was just like, it seems impossible. Mm -hmm. But I just had a sense, given the talent and the creativity evident in this OSHA group, that this could be a really excellent opportunity for all of us to continue to be engaged and creative during these very weird times. And frankly, for the students to bring their awesome, weird tech savvy selves into the mix. And I also thought it could provide potentially chances for other departments to get in on helping make these pieces. And selfishly, it would give me and my my fellow authors a chance to be creatively engaged mm-hmm. and to continue with this this experiment with this flexible now hear this and to get the show out there. So to that end, in the midst of all of this, Hunter Bell and I, my co-author Hunter Bell and I checked in with our licensing house Concord to see if it's even legally possible to conduct this virtual experiment. And Camion, they were in full support and they felt like in these times when almost every other theater is canceling productions, Number one, they welcomed some good news, but they also welcomed the possibility of the show going on. And it was a situation where all the authors were alive and we could just go, you in, you in, you in, yep, 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 and say, let's do this. So Scott and Peter, the co-directors, did something very smart at this moment. They decided to just start with one number and to see what was possible. I like that. So, test the waters before test we Test the get waters beyond. and test yep. people's like uh, test people's interests, test yep. all of it. Yeah. So these directors and their creative team and the students they kept working and they rehearsed via Zoom conference and then they sent us one of the first numbers. Uh one of the first numbers they completed is a very complicated number. It's complicated live and it certainly was complicated on video it's called dazzle camouflage and a student a senior named nathan burke was starring in this number 
Nathan was the one that was in the foul mood on that last rainy day of school. But with his performance and the other performances of the other actors and with the editing of the video, it became clear that <laughs> this might very well be something that they could pull off. We've got something here. They, we've got something here, even though they're separated by quarantine. And then one number became two numbers. And then two numbers became four numbers. And they kept going. And the show kept growing. And the team was growing too. So Maggie Giddens, the senior who had been worried about the logistics of her in front of her tan wall and someone else in front of their orange wall, said that once they had more rehearsals and once she figured out how to tape herself and she began seeing snippets of things, it became a way to celebrate, oh. to celebrate the seniors, <laughs> to celebrate their bond during the show in this crazy time, to celebrate the end of their high school days, and to celebrate their friendships. Mm -hmm. So Adam Castrione, who was worried about the logistics of doing all this with divorced parents mm -hmm. and how that footage would get uploaded, said that his co-directors helped him navigate all that, that Scott and Peter, the co-directors were super patient and they helped him figure it out so that everything could get done. And he said that when quarantine began, he had wondered how he would be active and creative during this time and that this process kept him active and kept him oh. creative. Yeah. Um, there's a student named Matthew Contour who performs the lead on a song called Kick Me. And Matthew said it was super fun because he basically became the costume designer, the prop master. He set out board games in the background of his shot because they're referenced in his song. Um, Les Mis is also referenced <laughs> in his song. So he made his own Les Mis flag out of a shirt and a broom. And I was like, Matthew, I wondered how you did that. Um, he said it was so fun <laughs> to have that much creative freedom that he never would have had if they had done it on stage in the traditional way, he never would have been expected to like make his own costumes, make his own props. And he even had his family appear in his videos. Doing, oh, <laughs> yes. They're, oh. they're doing some of the staging from the film Les Mis. They're acting as the chain gang. Stop. This is amazing. Yes. And he said his family loved doing it. Though he did oh. mention that the day that they filmed, they had to get, he had to get his parents up earlier than usual to film their it's parts. It's a shoot the, day, mom and dad. That's right. The high school student had to wake up his parents earlier to shoot. Come on. Come on. Oh my God. That's so awesome. to be clear, the show was being recorded and shot on cell phones and home computers and other personal devices. And it was rehearsed, costumed, location scouted, set dressed, lit, recorded, and shot entirely by these high school students and their families, their moms, their dads, their siblings in quarantine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Um, Scott Barnhart, the director, said the students know technology so well, mm -hmm. they were able to do this, and they were able to teach the directors things. <laughs> so the students had a huge creative hand at it. And Scott and Peter, these directors, said that they they and their team and their cast and their crew just continued following the breadcrumb trail. And there was this moment when this really weird, delightful thing really started to come together. 
But there were some important factors at play. And I think this is relevant to talk about. Mm -hmm. They said they had three weeks together in a rehearsal room before quarantine began. And while Mm -hmm. that wasn't mandatory, it didn't hurt that they had that time together. Yeah. 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 All the right people were together to make this happen, including everyone at OSHA, the authors, Concord, the licensing house. Um, They said the material really lent itself, that the student performers could costume it with what they had. And they, you know, uh, because it's contemporary material, they related to it very readily. Mm -hmm. Um, They had two directors that spoke the same language, shared the same vision, and were on the same page even before the pandemic. And because of the workload of what they were trying to accomplish, it was really helpful to have two directors plus additional support staff. Mm -hmm. This is something that we talked about before we launched uh, and we were all in agreement on. No one on the creative team, in the cast, or in their families got sick. And that was really important and Mm -hmm. really fortunate And we had agreed in advance that if that did happen, we would absolutely pause and prioritize Mm -hmm. those sorts of real life circumstances because, you know, it's a pandemic. So that is possible. And of course it takes, exactly. But nobody got sick, thankfully. Um, Another thing that's important to acknowledge is the technology piece. All of the students had cell phones that they could record on. And that is a big deal because when it comes to things like this, the playing field is not level for all students and it's not level for all schools. And that leads to a bigger conversation about equity and privilege. You know, these, there's a privilege to the fact that all those students had a cell phone. There just is. That's right. Scott did say that there are things that could be made even with a Chromebook, and that ultimately the success wasn't from the phones and technology. The success came from the planning, the logistics, Mm. the workflow, and at the end of the day, the commitment of a group of people who wanted to do something. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that's true. And I just want to acknowledge the fact that each student had a cell phone that had a camera and it was a big deal. That's right. Yeah. And you've got internet and Dropbox in order to like send right. the video. You know, there's a lot of yeah. pieces that, in play. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, there was total community buy-in from the students, the parents, the families, the creative leadership, the mm. school administration. Scott said they showed up. We showed up. OSHA showed up. Oh, we sure did. that's incredible. Um, I did yeah. kind of pause on that for just one second. Yeah. It yeah. is all just as it's not a given um, that everyone's going to have the technology. It is not a given that the adults in this scene are going to um, prioritize this, make sure it can get done, uh, play their part, help out, support, encourage teach absolutely all those things. the adults and the students frankly because mm-hmm. if the students were like hard pass then why bother yeah more on that in a moment though okay okay it's incredible director peter marnaro said he was scared because he hadn't directed anything on film he comes from the land of theater and dance but he said it all sort of translated and that it felt like they were running a little movie studio as they figured out technology they could give better and clearer notes to the students and they were organized organizing their files and their workflow. Um, so he had been really scared about that at the outset, but then it all, you know, 
They, mm-hmm. they were working at the top of their abilities and it all came together. Mm-hmm. And all of it, all of it, all of it was in the spirit of progress, not perfection. Oh, yes. Amen. And to that end, when anyone or anything got too focused on perfectionism, Director Scott Barnhart would say, hold on, are the kids having fun? Oh, yep. yes. Yeah. Other yes. helpful mantras included, how about it's okay? How about you just keep showing up? And how about you just let it be where it is today? Oh, gosh. Which I love. And when we would all come together and talk about this and meet and plot and scheme, the mantra was grant grace. Grant grace, grant grace, grant grace to yourselves, grant grace to the students, grant grace to everyone involved. And like I said, I feel like we were all working at our highest levels Mm -hmm. during this time. We were doing the best that we could. So Mm -hmm. um, just technically, Scott and Peter shared some things to make workflow easier if you decide that you're going to put together some sort of a virtual musical. They learned that they had to have their music director, Christopher Smith, first record an instrumental track. So step one was record an instrumental track. And typically they would then have a lead singer record the first vocal track. So they would listen with an earphone on to the instrumental track and record their vocal performance clean on a separate device like an iPhone or a laptop. Mm -hmm. And then that lead singer would upload their track to a very well-organized Dropbox and an editor would marry that vocal track to that bass instrumental track. And then that track would be sent to the other vocalists on that number so that they could attune with it and perform against it. And then they would upload their vocal tracks to a Dropbox and an editor would marry it all together. And the directors mentioned that it was best to record the vocalists' tracks in a closet with lots of soft fabric (laughs) around them to baffle the sound. But something that I loved, I love this, in the spirit of don't let perfect be the enemy of good, they encouraged the editors to keep glitches in. So there are moments, if anything got too polished or too professional, they would say, no, we just want that crunchiness and that authenticity. They didn't want to pretend that they had this outrageous budget for a movie musical. They, Scott said, uh, those glitches <laughs> felt very Brechtian. I want to see the rope that's holding up the flying angel so that you never get into full fantasy. You're aware we're in quarantine, in social distancing. There was no one but their families holding that camera, mm. which I love. Mm-hmm. I think all of this really gave the students a chance to be wildly creative and self-expressed. For example, for the number Golden Palace, which I've talked about on this podcast, um, Tristan Leach was the lead performer, and she wanted each performer in the number. She had this idea that she wanted each performer in the number to portray their Golden Palace, Mm -hmm. that space in their home where they felt creative. So for Tristan, it was her coloring, and she did these beautiful pages in her coloring book. And then she put her colored pages up on the window of her home. So when the sun shined through them, it makes it look like a stained glass window. And that's how she represented her golden palace and her footage. And then she had, she requested that the other performers in the piece also represented their golden palace and their footage. And while no one would ever know, Embedded in her performance is a tribute to her dear friend, Kelly Rice, who passed away. And she knew that her performance in Golden Palace would make him proud. And I 
I just love that she has that um, captured in perpetuity on video. I do too. And that she had the freedom to do that. Like the, the creative opportunity in here is beyond what you might've been able to do on stage, you know, in the moment. Yes. It's yes. So incredible yes. That's yes. layers on layers. And because the, the directors couldn't be everywhere where the students were filming, the students had to make creative choices and had to be, you know, they had to be inventive and self-expressed at every turn. So I, I love that it created possibility and opportunity for them. Oh. Several students talked about how doing this show virtually will give their loved ones who live in another part of the world a chance to see them perform in their spring musical. Cast member Noe Mayushige said she knew her family overseas would be able to see this, which oh. made it even scarier, but it actually became very empowering for her to perform it. And the change for her happened when she realized how fun it was to film and how confident she felt looking at her footage. She felt good about it and she felt proud about it. Oh. Cambria Gallo said that doing the show was a challenge because she felt like the material was so personal to the people mm. who had made it and she wanted to honor that. But she said that also made the material really relatable and the whole experience was really great for her because it stretched her mind and she gained confidence and courage from the oh. whole experience. Yes. Um, she said yes. the digital aspect helped her let go of her perfectionism. Doing it live, you have one shot. But she had the opportunity to film herself over and over and over again. She said she filmed herself hundreds of times. And at a certain point, she had to teach herself to let it go. Mariah Williams, who performs the lead in a song called I Rarely Schedule Nothing, said that she had been told all her life that she lights up the stage, but she didn't know it or believe it because she couldn't see herself. And then... They were watching this footage of a number that she's in called Get Into It. And she said she looked like she was having a ball. Oh. And for the first time in her life, she saw what other people have been seeing. She saw her love for theater up on that screen. And that has made her feel confident. Oh. I haven't seen all the numbers, but... Um, for the, the one I have seen is this number, More Life, which comes very early in the show. Mm -hmm. And director Peter Marinaro, when they were figuring out how they were going to portray this number, he went around the Zoom room and asked the performers, what is the one thing you would do right now if quarantine wasn't stopping you? And then Peter built a number around those responses. Mm -hmm. So the number begins with them attending a virtual class in a Zoom room, just totally zombied out. And then their minds travel into technicolor of what they would be doing if they weren't in quarantine and Camion. It's so funny because it's such an upbeat song. Mm -hmm. And the minute I saw the first one of them, like in a pandemic mask, I just oh. lost it. I was so moved by this idea of oh. them getting to even virtually like step out of that like quarantine lockdown experience, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I found very moving. Oh. I spoke to Taryn Schaefer, who is a senior school administrator at OSHA, and he described the meeting where director Scott Barnhart showed him and OSHA founder, Dr. Ralph Opasic, one of the numbers via Zoom conference. Taryn talked about how, as he watched it, tears came into his eyes. <sighs> 
He said, because of his professional affiliations with other schools and other art schools, he's seen that as of now, schools are figuring out ways to do virtual performances and showcases and masterclasses with artists who are quarantined right now. He's seeing teachers offer dance or acting classes online, but he hasn't seen anything quite like this. And while nobody would have chosen this, the fact that they were able to leverage technology to innovate during this time is amazing. And he was never cautious about it. He was never trepidatious about it. He was just so encouraged by the faculty and the staff who just rolled up their sleeves and made the most of this. And he said... He said he was just so filled with gratitude and pride, which I loved. Yes. Um, So I asked more people, I talked to more people surrounding the production, what this was like for them, including the parents of performer Maggie Gidden. Kevin and Gina Gidden, holla Giddens, told me (laughs) that Maggie eats, sleeps, and breathes theater. So having her work on Now Hear This at Home was normal. But... (laughs) Here's the, here's the twist. Instead of them just showing up on opening night to see the show, they got to be a part of the process. They were the costumers. They were the set designers. They were scouting locations to film. They were holding the camera. They were part of the crew. And that made it more special because it's Maggie's last show at OSHA. Oh, no. And just a little side spark. I want to talk for a second about Gina Giddens. Okay. Gina Giddens teaches junior high history and English. And she said, even with this pandemic, her eighth graders deserve every celebration they have coming their way. They had to cancel their field trip to Washington, D.C. And in its place, Gina created a virtual field trip. Every day, experts visit their Zoom classrooms and talk to the students about historic locations that they were scheduled to visit on their field trip. And every subject is in on this virtual field trip. So in English, they're studying novels set during the Civil War and set in Gettysburg. And in math, they're studying the budget of a trip. She calls it their virtual East Coast study trip. And she's even had t-shirts printed. And you are a spark, Gina Giddens. That is a spark of a teacher. That's amazing. That is delivering on a promise right there. That is a teacher right there. Wow. So back to now hear this. Um, Gina said that she saw that it gave the students something that they could control. And it gave meaning to this time. It gave them a purpose. It proved that impossible things can be done. Um, Gina said that she posted about it on her social media and another educator tagged their theater teacher and said, see, people are doing this. Let's get going. Which, uh, so for Scott Barnhart, one of the directors, he said he's proud of the organization and the communication and the flow of the project, even, even in the face of a pandemic. And by and large, everyone felt supported and secure in this really insecure time. Yeah. And that the, he got the sense that the students forgot the limitations of quarantine for a few moments and that that was huge. And also, he's a video editor now. With all he was learning. Someone learned some skills. He felt like a student. He expanded his skills. That's exactly right, Camion. For Peter Marinaro, who loves to prepare, in conjunction with his preparation, he learned that he can really rely on his instincts. And he also really relied on the students for their creative ideas when his spark tank was dry, which I think is a beautiful lesson. 
Audrey Hempel, a graduating senior, said that her favorite song in the show, From the Jump, was this song that Jeff Bowen wrote called Then Comes You. Mm -hmm. And she knew she loved it musically, but she couldn't quite place the significance of it when they were doing it live. But online, it clicked. They call it their senior number, and they made Then Comes You a love song to each other. Oh, and they did it by selecting photos of all the graduating seniors from deep in their camera rolls, going back to seventh grade and ninth grade, pictures of them eating bagels and doing face masks in the kitchen. They would take those photos and they would put them in their video for that song. And she said it's become her favorite moment in the show. For her, it feels like the perfect ending to her high school experience. She said, this whole time has been hard, but this has been a really beautiful thing. And I don't think we would have been able to do the show and this song in the same way in live theater. In a Zoom call last night, Audrey said that this experience gave a new meaning to the phrase, the show must go on. And Jeff Bowen added, line. So I credit Audrey and Jeff with the title of my spark today. The show must go on line. (laughs) And I am so, so happy and proud to announce that the show will go on and will go online May 14th through 17th at youtube.com slash we are OSHA. That's That's this week. That's That's right. That's this week. Oh my God, I'm excited. Yep. So it's W-E-A-R-E-O-C-S-A youtube.com slash we are OSHA. In lieu of tickets, we're suggesting that people donate to the OSHA Foundation, which is dedicated to the financial support of the school's tuition-free arts programs, and or the Educational Theater Foundation, providing financial support to enhance theater education and to expand access to K-12 through school theater programs for every child, and or to Gen Z Stay Home, the PSA created by Heidi Blickenstaff and Nicholas Rolfing's Broadway Because, featuring Gen Zers empowering their own to stay home during the pandemic in order to save lives. And fun fact, that PSA includes appearances by OSHA's Maggie Gidden, Madeline Abiera, and Logan Gould. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And if you or your theater are interested in creating your own virtual production of Now Hear This, you will soon be able to do so by contacting Concord Theatricals. So go on, everybody, and take it. And make and it. make it. <laughs> and that oh, is my very Zeus. emotional spark for the day. I just, speaking of wanting to hug you, I just want to put my arms around you right now. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. I'm so grateful for you. These, like this entire community has had this incredible experience Thanks to you and everyone else's unwillingness to just uh, crawl under the covers, <laughs> you know, you just were I, like, "That's not what we're going to do here." Well, I I appreciate it, but I just have to, I don't know, I just have to reflect the shine onto the people that have really done that heavy lifting. Yeah, um, that creative team and those students and those families, like everybody really, I think worked really hard, but also had a lot of fun doing it. And I have to say, in looking back, I think this is going to be such a badge of honor for all the people involved in it that they didn't just sort of like 
take the punch, hit the ground and stay down, yeah. that they um, stood up, dusted off and were like, what's our, let me try that again on this. I don't know. I'm, I feel so proud. I yeah. feel so, so, so proud yeah. to just get to, I don't know, be a part of it in a small <sighs> way and hopefully shine some light of possibility for other people who are seeking ways to be self-expressed and be creative, even with the limitations that we're experiencing right now. Oh, here's another fun fact. What? The parents were just saying that the students were running to go to these rehearsals online on mm-hmm. Zoom in ways that <laughs> they weren't really seeing with some of the other schoolwork. <laughs> um, at a certain point, the state of California, which is where all of this is happening, the state of California said, from this point forward, you can't lower anybody's grade. Like, right. it, grades right. can go up, but they can't go down. Yeah. But what that did for seniors especially is they were like, pace. And they were like, it doesn't matter. My efforts don't matter. And so they just stopped showing up. But that wasn't the case with this. Mm -hmm. I think the students felt like they were making something that was real and that it mattered to show up. And so they did. It's purpose. It's being onto something. Like Gave it's being on to something, Cam's. You know, when despair overtakes you and and the desire to stay in bed, it, I think, is often driven by, like, there's not a reason to get up. And when yeah. you're on to something, you, you know, you got to get up. You got to get your parents out of bed, frankly. Um, get-, <laughs> get those parents out of bed. Matthew and, Contour, you, know- <laughs> you got to wake up your parents. Um, the other thing I want to say is if somebody is is sort of like you're sparked by this, you don't have to do an entire musical. Start mm. small. Start mm-hmm. with one number. Stage one number. Um Pick something that you love. Pick something that gives you a strong visceral feeling in your body that you just love it and it fills your lungs and it makes your heart expand with joy. And try that. Try that just as a way to start. I love this so much and I cannot wait for Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week. That's Thanks, what let's it is, pop right? some corn. I'll yes. meet you on our virtual couch and yes. we'll, we'll watch together. And um, should we should we take a little breaky? Sure, sure. Okay. Let's clean up. Let's clean up our tears. <laughs> I'm gonna blow my nose. I'll be back in a second. Okay. Kami, there's just one more story that I just want to share with you. Okay. There uh stop me if you've heard this one. I don't okay. think I've talked about it on the podcast, but you know it all blends into one giant life slash podcast. There <laughs> was there's a student, a freshman named Haven, and we had done the Let Me Try That Again workshop with Haven. And this as a freshman, this was his first OSHA show, and he hadn't always seen himself as a performer. He was more into technical theater and especially extremely gifted with costuming. Um, But getting into the show was really special for him. And he had been, he had spent, oh my gosh, 60 or 70 hours making a really special dress. It was the red Harmonia Gardens dress from Hello Dolly. And he did it. He built this costume he built it. His sister was sort of his um, model for it. <laughs> and he had been working on it for months, just like beating it and doing head to toe, sh- like like headdress wig 
dress shoes with an eye towards taking it to thespian competition. And he was super excited about the festival. And then that got canceled. And then there was a potential that he might be able to include it in a different festival. And then the pandemic canceled that. So he had put all this time into it. And he was really gutted by the loss of being able to share his hard work. But we worked through it in the Let Me Try That Again workshop. And we kind of cultivated this spark. We got him onto this idea of sharing it online. So he photographed it, he put it on Instagram, and he tagged a lot of the dollies from Broadway <laughs> and the tour. So, and, and they responded to it. Betty no Buckley way. and Donna Murphy and Carolee Carmelo commented on his post. Oh my and gosh. And he said he got so much more out of it than if it had, you know, than the original plan for it. And that he had made the dress to fit his sister and he photographed her in it. And now he feels complete. Oh, that is incredible. Yeah. So it doesn't just end. You take the punch, you hit the dust. Great stories don't end there. That's right. They don't end there. You don't end there. You stand up, you dust off. It's the hero's journey, baby. It is. Haven is my hero of the day. Cams, do you have a spark for me? Uh, I do. And as I'm listening to yours, A, I love your spark so much. And I feel like I've like been on that journey with you. So it feels really good to like get even more deets. Um, Because of course, I've heard about these characters along the way. And Mm -hmm. I'm very aware of how much work um, that has gone into it. And I'm so incredibly impressed and amazed. And I just cannot wait to see the work of Mm. these students and all of these families. Me too. Um, (laughs) So I'm super excited. And my spark um, is is actually kind of related, I think. I mean, you know how um, listeners, you all know, um, we pick random sparks out of our spark files. And sometimes there's like a beautiful... um, connection and sometimes they're like these two things couldn't be more random (laughs) Um, sometimes there's a spark synergy a compliment yeah yeah so i think this is complimentary or at least i hope so um unintentionally but i think it's um it it had me thinking while you were telling your your sharing your spark so um i'll jump in i think you probably know that i went to college at kansas state university yay yay go k-state um, I was in the speech and um, I know you had to giggle. Uh, the speech communication theater department, as it was known Wait, at the time. What was your mascot? The Wildcat. The K State Wildcats. Wildcat. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know. Just a singular Wildcat or? Yeah. Just the one Wildcat. I mean, we were all <laughs> Wildcats, but, you know, one at a time. Okay. Not to Sorry to interrupt. You will say. K State Wildcats. Um, so I was in the speech communication theater department, as it was known at the time, and very early in my years there, the theater department was holding auditions for Hamlet. Mm. And it was, if you can picture this, it was all the usual suspects in the room, mm. the vets and the newbies, everyone, <laughs> you know, eyeing each other, everyone wondering if the director already knows who she's going to cast anyway, so does anyone have mm. a chance, you know, to really break through here? Um, and had all of those, you know, excitement and jitters and tensions in, in that exist in those rooms. 
And I remember this so distinctly. In walks a man we had never seen before. Oh. And I say man very intentionally here. He was tall and muscular and had the proverbial presence we so often speak of. Where did he come from, dark Where stranger? did he come from? Now, admittedly, my view of what a man, quote unquote, was at the time was limited <laughs> and has broadened so much since then. I just want to admit that. But forgive me, at that time, um, this person personified everything we had been taught a man was in that hmm. way. Uh, back in the day, as they say. Um, so he stepped onto the stage. He did not need the script, thank you very much. He knows the speech. He opened his mouth, and his voice came from the depths of him. Like you could almost see it originating in his diaphragm and coming forth through his lips. His feet were planted on the stage as though he himself had papawied right there, burst to life from downstage center, his life force (laughs) now extending outward from the pool of light he was in or the pool of light that emanated from within him, which was it, we will never know. Yes, paint a picture, Camion. Yes, everyone in the room stopped breathing. He literally sucked the breath right out of each and every one of us. Who the hell was this man? Is he a new theater major? Where did he come from? Can we keep him? (laughs) This man was Taylor Molly. It turns out Taylor Molly was a grad student from the English department. And no, he had no intention of majoring in theater, but he thought it would be fun to exercise the old muscles, as they say, and participate in getting Shakespeare on its feet. So he graced us with his presence for a few months. He performed in Hamlet, not the title role, which was given very rightly to my dear friend and incredible talent, Kevin Kelly. Hi, Kevin. But nonetheless, hi, Kevin. But nonetheless, Taylor left his mark in all of our hearts, for sure. Years later, I moved to New York, and at that time, there was a huge poetry slam movement happening. It's the late 90s slash early 2000s. I wasn't personally a part of this poetry slam movement, I'll have you know, but I was (laughs) in the like third Saturn ring around Got it. it. You know, like people at Blue Man Group were into it, so I would hear about it. And like a soft murmur, I started to hear this name, Taylor Molly, Taylor Mm. Molly. And I was like, could that be the same Taylor Molly? I mean, it had been think It's a pretty distinctive name. It is, but... Last time I saw him was, you know, at Kansas State University years and years prior. So imagine my surprise when one day, standing on the subway platform, waiting for the NR train, I see him, Taylor Molly. I walk up to him and I say, hi, Taylor, I went to K-State 
and he cuts me off and he says, hi, Laura, I know you. How are you? <gasps> and I was like, oh, oh my God. And so, you know, I was, I'm sure I was a freshman or something when all that transpired. <laughs> so I was like, he didn't know me. I, I don't even know. I don't even remember what I played in Hamlet. So he proceeded to chat with me and I find out that he's a teacher and a poet. And yes, indeed, he is the poet on everyone's mind lately. Hmm. He's been doing a, a poem that he wrote about teaching and he thinks it's going pretty well. <gasps> I assure him he has oh. the world buzzing. <laughs> and I say, you know, I've heard so much about it. I, I, I think it's working. Whatever you're doing, keep it up. <laughs> Um, I congratulate him on putting teachers on the map, as it were, and getting people talking about it. And just like that, he's off again, and I am still breathless. Mm. I think now when I reflect back on it, I think what he had that stunned me so much in my younger years is the power of conviction. Like he mm. never doubted himself or never appeared to anyway. And for Get me, it, Taylor, that Molly. was just, yeah, that was yeah, just no something kidding. foreign to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but something like told me if he was rocking the world with poems about teaching and the world was listening and that made me really proud, so proud, like on behalf of my dad and my brother, my uncles, mm. my aunt, like all the teachers in my life. This past week, I'm not sure if you know, <clears throat> but you likely do. This past week was National Teacher Appreciation Week. I did and not know. Yeah. Yeah. It was National Teacher Appreciation Week. Aww. And I was reminded of Taylor Molly and his poetry at this time. And of course, now you can find videos of him performing his poetry on YouTube and, and beyond, I'm sure. Um, so I went back and listened to him performing and I was so moved, you know, in this new paradigm, in yeah. this moment in time. I don't, I'm not aware of any other moment in our recent history when the work of teachers has been more universally appreciated, <laughs> you know, yes. and I'm getting choked up about it, but yes. yeah, it's just yes. like this whole experience has thrown parents into the role of teacher and in addition to everything else they're trying to do. And I think yeah. it's caused so many people to realize the incredible thought and care that goes into understanding a child as a learner specifically, because it's a very different thing. You know, you obviously you can love your child, want the best for them and want them to learn, but understanding their mind as a learner, mm. great teachers understand how to help a child learn and how to stimulate a love of learning that can last a lifetime. It's mm. so much more than just getting your child to retain information. Yeah. So, it may feel like a small thing, but I'm really grateful that there is a moment to pause and think of our teachers. We actually have Eleanor Roosevelt to thank for that, because in 1953, she persuaded Congress to declare a National Teacher's Day. Oh. Over time. Yeah, I know. I was like, thanks, Eleanor. I mean, who's thinking yeah. of that? She was. She was. So... She persuaded them to declare this National Teacher's Day, and 
And there still is, like last Tuesday was National Teachers Day, but over time it's really expanded to be like a week-long celebration the first week of May every year. And of course, it's meant to recognize the dedicated educators across the country and the lasting uh, contributions that they make to our lives and the lives of students everywhere. Yes. So I thought, if you don't mind, I might mention just a few of the teachers I have had whose influence helped to shape who I am. This is awesome. And what a great (laughs) complimentary spark. I know. I was listening to yours. I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those just Uh, lovely matches. I have a huge smile on my face right now. Well done. Thanks, Blackwell. Let's hear it for these teachers. All right. So a few from junior high and high school, Mr. Montague, Mr. Henry, Mrs. Johnson, Mr. Vinduska. But then there was Mrs. Hode. Mrs. Hode taught the AP English class, and she oh was one God. of those. <laughs> she was one of those mysterious older women that everyone wondered about. I mean, everyone in Kansas in the 1980s, at least. What kind of life had she led? I mean, we knew she lived alone, but why? Since when? She dressed a bit seductively, but very possibly by accident. No one knew if she in intentionally left too many buttons unbuttoned on her blouse or if she just <laughs> forgot to, un- to button them. Oh, Mrs. Toad. She was like, she was a little bit freewheeling in that way. She had a scratchy old voice as though she had smoked a thousand cigarettes, but mm. no one knew if she did. I don't know if she smoked. She was flighty and funny and deeply intelligent and knowledgeable. She was our Robin Williams in Dead Poet Society. Oh, Oh, Captain, my captain. Yes. She could enjoy the humor and the clever banter of her students, and she could shut it down in an instant with a cutting remark that would let us know she was not in the mood today. Wow. I loved her so dearly. I freaking loved her. She taught me all about writing and all about reading, but mostly she taught me how we hold multitudes. And as a woman, we are Uh. allowed to express them all. Uh. I love her for that. I love her. And then there were the most pivotal group of teachers in the theater and communications department at Kansas State University, Kate Anderson, Charlotte McFarland, Lou Shelton, Marcy Mahler, Craig Brown. I certainly would not be the same human being I am today without them. I think I have to confess something that, Suze, I think we've probably talked about this, but it's it's a confession. Like growing up in the Midwest, I'm sure I had a bit of a confidence gap that's that's not always, but often prevalent in the Midwest. And it's this belief that anything or anyone that comes from one of the coasts, New York City or Los Angeles specifically, right? They must automatically be better, more talented, more experienced, or all of the above. It was really common at that time, especially in the arts. I kind of hope it's changed. You know, if it has, I hope someone will write to us and say, I don't feel that way. Oh, Um, good. But, uh, you know. But it was definitely part of my foundational belief system at the time. But after I left college, and I've told a few of my professors this, but I haven't gotten a chance to tell all of my teachers. Every single place I went, I lived in Los Angeles for a couple of years after college. I took classes and did some theater there. And then I moved to New York City and went to the school for film and television and performed a little bit. But everywhere I went, people asked, where did you study? And at first I was like, 
Kansas State University? I mean, like question mark at the end? Why? Like yeah. I wasn't sure what they were getting at. Like why are you asking? Uh, super not secure. And then over time, they'd say, where did you study? And I'd say Kansas State University. Because mm. by then, like, I knew they were complimenting my training and most of all, my teachers. And yes. although it took me a few years for me to appreciate and realize, like, I had every bit as great training as anyone else in the city or anyone else yes. that I met, you know, I just was like, holy crap, our teachers were so thoughtful mm. in teaching us from so many perspectives. Every one of them was entirely different, but they understood the value of us having the experience of working with different directors, different styles, different approaches. And I feel such a debt of gratitude to all of them. And I know that many of my fellow classmates do too. And so many of us have had the ability and the privilege to make a life in the arts thanks to what and how they taught us. Those classmates include Eric Stonestreet from Modern Family. He's a friend and classmate. Travis Clower, he's a singer-songwriter and a headliner on the freaking Las Vegas Strip. Lisa wow. Nani's a screenwriter. She's selling screenplays. Tim Allmiller's casting and training Blue Men for Blue Men Group. LaFerne Watkins. Yes, she hosts her own radio show on ESPN in LA. Jeez. And so many more. And that's just a few from my class. Like that's, that's my little circle. I know there's so many more. And many of them, many of them, Deirdre, I'm looking at you, went on to become teachers themselves. And mm. I think what freaking lucky students they have. Oh my God. When you said that, I just got chills through my whole body. <sighs> Honestly, like I feel so proud of that. And I know I could go on and on, but all of us have teachers in our own lives who've made an impact. And I just, to be cheesy for a second, I just want to encourage all of us to just take a moment to picture those people in our minds and just remember them mm -hmm. and you know, the contributions that they've made to each of us. Because I know my teachers are, you know, they're just, they're personal to me, but we've all got them. Yeah. So during this crisis, teachers have put their own health in danger. They have converted their curriculum in a moment's notice to serve an online classroom, which is no easy feat. They have worked to keep students engaged. Some students who don't have the tools that they need at home or don't have the mm. internet or don't have a safe home environment. Mm. Teachers have needed to care for their own children and their education, not yes. to mention their health and well-being. Yep. It's likely they've had to care for other family members and grieve the loss of things that they had planned to do the remainder of the semester. Sues. Just like you were saying, they these teachers across the country and across the world are grieving the loss of recitals and musicals yes. and plays and track meets and baseball and softball games and proms and graduations. I mean, for many of them, it's also the culmination of their passionate work with students. And for many, they've been looking forward to seeing the growth and progress and learning of their students, these students they've cared for and watched grow up before their very eyes. Like, it's painful for them too, and they're feeling all kinds of loss. 
And yet they soldier on. And in the case of uh, OSHA, they find alternative ways to make it happen. Yes. I'm thinking of like the various times that we've talked to makers and teachers have come up like yeah like the fact that Bobby Lopez and Lynn Manuel have ha- had the same music teacher. Yes. It was crazy. Kate Crawford is a teacher. Um now I just can't stop thinking of Scott Barnhart and the teachers at OSHA who rose to this new challenge and and clearly delivered you know, not just something for the rest of us to enjoy, but the the actual process and the experience for those students yeah. is the gift. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and how much when I was talking with um Gina Giddens last night, we were we were saying how how much those students have learned. How yeah. much through the it's no, it's not um history class and it's not math class, but how much the students and the teachers have learned yeah. throughout making that musical. I also think about Leslie Odom Jr. talking about yes. his wonderful teacher, who I think essentially spun his life around uh-huh. in the best possible way. Yep. And and then teachers like um, Billy Porter. I was going to say Billy Porter. Porter. Yes. yes. Who, who saw him. something yeah. greater in Leslie that saw yeah. that he had like sort of a lid on it and was just like, let me help you take the lid off. It's, yes. I mean, you, so many people can point to a pivotal moment um, with a teacher or pivotal teachers that made a like made all the difference really of whether or not they pursued their passion. It's, uh, I, 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 it's such an enormous debt of gratitude that I feel like my little, my little spark sack can't hold it, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, but we're trying, we're trying. We're trying. So there's so many teachers that have risen to, um, sort of a level of appreciation in our culture. Um, I don't know if you know, Confucius was the first paid teacher on record. Like really? Way, way, way back. Yeah. I had yeah. no idea. Did not know that, did you? Nope. Um Helen Keller, there's a teacher <gasps> for you. Yes. Um, on wow. television, the teachers on Glee, on Fame, The Simpsons, The Wonder Years, Saved by the Bell, <laughs> Breaking Bad, <laughs> Welcome Back, Cotter. I mean, so <laughs> many more. Um, of course, the voice of the teacher from Peanuts, um, wah, you know, wah, 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 the wah, trumpet. Wah. Oh, right. Key and Peel have this fantastic video about a substitute teacher who can't get any of the white kids' <laughs> names right. Do you remember that? A A Ron, D Nice, A A Ron. I love it. I love it. They're they're amazing. When you said Kim PLA, I immediately thought about their sketch where the teacher can't, there's a student that's like getting all the laughs and the teacher <laughs> is trying to like turn the tables and just like completely melts down. They do, Kim and Peele have done some good teacher work. Yeah. They really, really do. And I think because we've all had teachers or we've had the experience of being taught by someone, we have a collective understanding from which we can laugh or cry, you know? Um, we have that collective touch point, which there aren't a lot of, frankly, 
There's very few. Like you could even say, you know, religiously, we may have um, some, a good portion of people might have experience with a priest or a minister, um, you know, but not everyone. Oh, I not see everyone. what you mean. You know like I mean? they're an archetype. Yes. yes. And there's a universality to it. Yeah, yes, there's an ar- all, but yeah. but they're an archetype that most of us have experienced in the same way that many of us have experienced what it's like to have parents. That's right. We've experienced what it's like to have teachers. That is correct. So I think that makes them uh, fascinating fodder for um, you know creative characters. But the teaching profession has historically been one that. We know we need, but we haven't always shown our appreciation in terms of salaries. Uh In fact, throughout history, Uh it's never, like historically, never been a high-paying job. Mm. We've gone through ups and downs in regard to um, status culturally. But suffice to say, here on the Spark File, we love teachers. We work with many, many teachers in a variety of capacities, and we are grateful, grateful for the fact that they are literally propping up the entire educational system right now through this pandemic. Yeah. They are essential workers, and they are heroes. I um, read that Barack Obama jumped on a video call this week to thank Chicago teachers during Teacher Appreciation Week, and... I am sure I'm not the only person who cried just thinking about that. Uh. In his post about it, he wrote, there's no limit to the devotion I've seen in teachers like these Chicago public school educators. Their dedication shapes the best parts of who we become. And I think that is just the perfect way to say it. Simply and succinctly, teachers shape the best parts of who we become. So what do we make of it? A practice of gratitude? Maybe you could think of creative ways to thank the teachers in your life. Mm. Just a question, perhaps. Mm. Um, Maybe you could make an open dialogue of it. If you're working with your child in your makeshift homeschooling situation, you could ask your child, what would your teacher do? And I bet they could tell you, you might learn some new skills. <laughs> you just and then the might. student becomes the teacher. <laughs> That's right. Um, and I think you can think of the teachers who sparked you, the good ones, the bad ones, and perhaps like dig into the ways in which they lit you up. Like were there topics you explored thanks to them? Could you pick those topics back up? Could you pick that instrument back up? Mm. Were there some that taught you lessons that drove you crazy? Are you in a place now where you could explore why that bothered you and what you learned from it? Yeah. It's just good stuff. No matter, you know, the teaching styles, um, you know, can you assess a bit like how you learn? Are you able to articulate what kind of learner you are? And if you're Taylor Molly, you might write a poem called What Teachers Make. And from that poem, you might, might write a book, as he did, sharing wow. the joys and the nobility of the profession with the world, truly celebrating what he called the greatest job in the world. I'm going to share some of his What Teachers Make poem with you. Oh, this my is, God. <laughs> this is edited, but I invite you and implore you to check out his video on YouTube, and if possible, we'll share it, because you really should see the Poetry Slam national champion work his magic. Oh, my God. But for now, 
Um, we'll share this. He says the problem with teachers is what's a kid going to learn from someone who decided his best option in life was to become a teacher? He reminds the other dinner guests that it's true what they say about teachers. Those who can do, those who can't teach. I decide to bite my tongue instead of his and resist the temptation to remind the dinner guests that it's also true what they say about lawyers because we're eating after all. And this is polite conversation. I mean, you're a teacher, Taylor. Be honest. What do you make? And I wish he hadn't done that. Asked me to be honest. Because you see, I have this policy about honesty and ass-kicking. If you ask for it, then I have to let you have it. You want to know what I make? I make kids work harder than they ever thought they could. I can make a C plus feel like a Congressional Medal of Honor and an A minus feel like a slap in the face. I make parents tremble in fear when I call home. Hi, this is Mr. Molly. I hope I haven't called at a bad time. Just want to talk to you about something your son said today. To the biggest bully in the grade, he said, leave the kid alone. I still cry sometimes. Don't you? And that was the noblest act of courage I have ever seen. I make parents see their children for who they are and what they can be. You want to know what I make? I make kids wonder. I make them question. I make them criticize. I make them apologize and mean it. I make them write. I make them read, read, read. I make them show all their work in math and hide it on their final drafts in English. I make them understand that if you've got this ahead, then you follow this, your heart. And if someone ever tries to judge you by what you make, you give them this, the finger. Here, let me break it down for you so you know what I say is true. Teachers make a goddamn difference. Now, what about you? So if you're listening to this and you are a teacher... I can't stop Thank crying you. today, Cammie. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I was like, in the middle of that, I was like, I'm sorry, Taylor. I know you didn't cry through your performance <laughs> of this. Taylor was but, a um, badass. Taylor was a badass, and you should watch his video. But me, I'm going to cry through it. Um, but yeah, if you're listening to this and you are a teacher, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you are listening and you have a teacher, please thank them. Thank mm. them. Thank them. Mm. That's it. That's my spark for today. Oh, Camion. Blackwell. God bless it. Um, I think that's beautiful. I know that there are teachers right now who are struggling, yeah. but they are trying and they're piecing it together and figuring it out. That's and right. let us dedicate this episode of the spark file podcast <sighs> to, to the teachers, those teachers and all the teachers. Oh my God. And how about Mrs. Hode? Let's, Mrs. Let's, Hode. Let's give mystery this one up to woman. Mrs. Hode. Oh, love Woman of so mystery. Much. And Taylor Molly. Jeez Taylor Louise. Molly. Yeah. Well done. Uh, Cammie, and that was gorgeous. Thank you. I loved your spark as well. I love, yeah, I love our dedicated, 
our dedicated, accidentally dedicated episode. <laughs> Isn't that weird? I think it's weird. Maybe it's just something in the air for us. I don't know. We really do not plan this. We don't. Um, but I think it's obvious because then we'll have the strangest combinations of like Colette and <laughs> something else, you know, like, I don't know. Puppies, but, you know, exactly. You don't know what you're going to get. That's you just don't know what you're going to get. But I guess... That's it for today. Yes. Holy moly, we hope this put another bunch of sparks in your file. Listen, if there's a spark you'd like us to explore or you've taken a spark and fanned it into a creative flame and you'd like to share that, we hope you'll email us at thesparkfile at gmail.com or submit it through our website, thesparkfile.com. We will even happily take your feedback, but you know the price of admission. First, you have to share a creative risk that you have taken recently. You can follow us on social media at The Spark File and be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, five-star, review it. If you like this podcast, we hope you'll share it with people that you love. And if you didn't like it, honestly, we really don't care and we don't want to hear about it, but thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe that's just my fatigue talking. Hey, (laughs) it's cool. Um, if something tickled your fancy and gets your creative juices flowing, please, please, please know we're writing you a forever permission slip to make that thing that's been knocking at your door. It is your turn to take a spark and fan it into a flame. You got to workflow it. You got to staccato and legato it. You got to figure out, this is a terrible rhyme. You got to workflow it. You got to musically staccato it. Uh You got to figure out a way. And then go on with the show it. (laughs) You got to take it and And make make it. it. Oh, Suze, the show must go online. Line. Y'all watch Now Hear This, May 14th through 17th. I'll be there. YouTube.com slash we are O-C-S-A. We are OSHA. See you there. Bye, Kayans. Bye, babe. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark files. Could be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my spark files. I jump into my spark files. Let's open up the spark fire